Just for her wares. She's the. That again. There we go. Good morning. It is good to see you. Let me welcome you to First Baptist Church. We are so glad you're here. Um, we would love for you just to stand up and move around and greet some folks. Let everybody know you're glad they're here today. All right, you can, you can be seated. Good to have Morgan and Julie back with us, with little baby Georgie back there, beautiful little girl. We're glad y'all are here today. They moved down to be closer to the parents, but we're glad you're here. Um, if you're a guest, on the back of the worship guide, um, there's a QR code right there. And if you'd like more information about our church, you can scan that on your phone, and, um, and it will, you can fill that out, and it'll come to us, and we can get you more information. We'll give you what you ask for. If you want to visit, we'll visit. If you want... Um, more information, we'll just send it to you. We won't bombard you, but we'll do what you ask us to do. So please pay attention to that. Men, tonight at 5 o'clock over at Petros, um, we'll be having a men's get-together, and it's um, a great time. Um, remember James and John, Sons of Thunder? We said we ought to start a group that name, and they took me up on it. So Sons of Thunder are going to unite tonight. If you, the, the reg, you don't have to register to be a part of it. We just did that so we could make sure we had enough chili. There'll be a chili cook-off, and then we'll have some fellowship time and some other things. So please, men, come and be a part of that at 5 o'clock at the house between us and CBS. You can see the other announcements there. If you're a part of my Wednesday night Bible study, we started last week in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to make our way through Romans. We're moving it to the sanctuary. Um, the room upstairs was, was packed, and we had a few people who had a hard time getting there. So we're going to move it into the sanctuary. So at 6.30, we'll start right on time if you'd like to have a midweek Bible study. You'll also notice in your worship guide, today is the beginning of the week of prayer for Annie Armstrong um, North American Missions. Our goal this year is $50,000 um, for the Annie Armstrong offering. Last year, we gave as much as we've ever given to Annie Armstrong, over 60000 And so I, I want to thank you for the way you give to the missions offering. But this is the time for us to begin to think about that. In the next couple of weeks, you'll have some videos, and, or, and, and you'll see why we give to that. Are you ready to worship today? All right. We have a brand new call to worship, and so I'm going to call your attention to it. Matter of fact, why don't you look at it real quick and familiarize, familiarize yourself with it before we try to read it out loud. And, um, right out of Revelation. Read it along with me out loud. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Let's make ourselves ready today through worship, amen? I wanna pray and then Dave's gonna come and read our scripture. Let's pray together. God, thank you that we can worship you. We don't take it for granted that we get to gather and do that. And so, Father, as we do it, we pray that your spirit would be with us and help us to worship you as you should be worshiped. 
Holy Spirit, we invite you to move in our lives. Revive us, change us, make us what we ought to be. And as we sing today, Lord, let us put our eyes on you. Holy Spirit, I pray that today, right now, you would put our minds on, on not the things that maybe we've got to do in the next two hours, not on the things that are facing us next week, but on you right now for this next hour or so. Let us worship you as you deserve to be worshiped, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. put his hand out to the ark of the Lord to hold it for the ark stumbled and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error and he died there because beside the ark of the covenant and David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day and David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said how can the Lord of the ark the ark of the Lord come to me. So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark, of the, God, the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, church, let's stand before the Lord. Let's, let's um, just shout out a shout of praise and enjoy the Lord in music this morning.
heaven. Why don't you be seated? But let's pray together. And I want to encourage you to do what we've been singing. Just as you pray, Jesus, for my family, would you just lift up the names of those in your family? Your spouse, your children, maybe your children's spouses, grandchildren, maybe aunts and uncles and grandparents. Ask for Jesus to move in their life. Pray for your neighbors, your co-workers. Maybe those you sit in class with, those who are your teachers or those who are your students. Father, we pray you would move in our life yes Lord we we want to be a part of that would you use us to be a part of what you're doing around us but Lord there are many things that we just can't handle they're beyond our reach so we lift them to you because nothing's beyond your reach nothing's beyond your ability you have all power you're all present So we lift up those that we love and those that we're concerned about. We even lift up those that maybe we just don't like very much. God, we lift them to you. We pray. I pray for the churches around our area, the pastors who are preaching. I pray for your blessings upon those churches. We want the revival waters to flow through Pell City and we want to be a part of that Lord we pray for our North American missionaries and ask God that you would guide them and lead them that you would revive your church here in America that an awakening would sweep our land that people would be saved and come back to you help us God help us to be faithful to do what you've called us to do And as we begin a brand new series today, I pray, Father, that you would speak to us through James. As we'll see in a moment, that we wouldn't wouldn't just be hearers of this word, but we would be doers. Help us, Father, I pray, to live the life you've called us to live in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. We'll begin a brand new study in this book. And, um, James chapter 1. If you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's Word. Probably on the screen, it'll just be the first verse, but I want to read through the first four verses. So follow along in your Bibles, please. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. I, I've been looking forward to this study. I, I, I love just starting in verse 1 and moving to the end. And so we, I'm looking forward to this. I, I talked through it here on, I think, 2006 and on Wednesday nights. But I don't remember that I've ever preached through it, and even in the other churches that I pastored. It's an amazing book. It's one of those that many people would list as their favorite. When you talk to people about favorite chapters or favorite books, James often comes up in, in that top three of people. It's, it's, it's an amazing book, and, and I hope that we'll grow. It, we'll start it today, most likely, finish it sometime in October. But I want to take our time, and as I said in my prayer, I want us to make sure we remember James 1.22. Be, I memorized it, be ye doers. That old King James language. Be, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. My goal is not just just give us facts and, and help us to grow in knowledge, though I want us to grow in the knowledge of God's word. My goal for us is in this series is to hear the knowledge and through the Spirit's power to begin to do and practice what God's called us to do. So just two things today I want us to do. And the first one is I want to give you a word about the letter, okay? Just the letter itself. It is a letter to 12 tribes in the dispersion. And we'll study, see what that means in a moment. And we'll look at, at the five W's you may use to study, not necessarily in the order that you're used to going through. But, but let's look first of all, who wrote it? Well, it's pretty easy to say James. That, you've got a pretty safe bet to say James wrote it, and that's true, but which James? And so I want to give you five different choices, three of which I don't really think are, are legitimate choices, and then I'll show you who I think wrote it and why it's important to us. First, if you look in Luke chapter 6, verse 16, it says, and Judas, this is the end of Jesus' disciples, of the 12. He says, and Judas, the son of James... And Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So Jesus had two different disciples named Judas. And, 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 and one of them was the traitor. He, he was the one who turned Jesus in. But the other was Judas, the son of James. And so that could be an option. He was the main player, obviously, in the early church. He was one of the disciples or the father of one of the disciples. So some might say that Judas, Judas's father, James, wrote it. The second one is, is, is James, who's often called James the Younger. You remember when we saw the, the ladies show up at the tomb in Luke chapter 24, it says, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. So this is a James whose mother was Mary, okay? And, and, and we can look at who that could be. It could be one of the people that we're about to mention, but that's a second person. And then there are two people that, that, that are often mentioned. In, in chapter 6 of Luke, verse 14, you find James, the son of Alphaeus, who is distinct from James, the son of Zebedee. In verse, so verses 14 and verse 15, James, two of the disciples, James, the son of Alphaeus, and James, the son of Zebedee. And then there's one more option. In Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it says that, is this not, this is the, the people of Jesus' town, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? 
and they took offense at him. So you've got these different people, the, the father of one of the disciples, you've got James the Younger, whose mother Mary was at the, at the resurrection, you've got, um, you've got James the, the son of Alphaeus, James the son of Zebedee, and then you have James the half-brother of Jesus. We, we know nothing about three of those people except their names. We know what their names are. We know that they two were disciples, and, 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 and we know one was a father disciple, but we know nothing else about them. So I think it would be safe to say that they probably did not write this book. So then you're left with two people, James, the son of Zebedee, one of those sons of thunder that we talked about earlier in the, in the introduction, um, a brother of John. So two of the main disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John. And so it, it would make sense that he's the author of this book, except for the fact that in Acts chapter 12, he was killed, okay? If you look at it, it said, at that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. So the brother, of, the son of Zebedee was martyred. Judas died and, and, and by taking his own life, and James, and then after this, he goes after Peter. Peter's put in prison. The church prays, and, and, and God lets Peter out, but James is put to death. So it's doubtful that James, the son of Zebedee, wrote it because he died so early. So it really leaves us with one option. James, the half-brother of Jesus. The reason he's the half-brother is they had the same mother, but not the same father. Jesus' father was God the Father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. Judas, or, or excuse me, James, Judas is another one of the brothers. J James was the son of Mary in the natural union of Joseph. And so when you look at that, and I, I'm not trying to pick on any particular church, but the Catholic Church has as a doctrine that, that G Mary not only was a virgin um, when, she, when she conceived and, and gave birth to Jesus, but she remained a perpetual virgin. That is, she never had a relationship with Joseph and then you have to ask yourself, well, how did Jesus have four other brothers and a couple sisters? They would say it's cousins, but that's not what the Bible says. And so we know that Mary had a natural relationship with her husband, Joseph, after Jesus was born. And they had a son named James. What's interesting about it is, is that two of the brothers in Mark are authors of the New Testament books, James and Jude. Jude begins, he's not Judas anymore. You can see why you want to be called Judas. He's, he's Jude, and he writes the book that we've already studied. They were not always followers of Jesus. It's interesting, when you go to John chapter 7, they mock Jesus. They tell him, hey, why don't you go on up there and show yourself? You know, and it's like, hey, big man, go ahead. And, and he says in verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him at this time. The believers, the brothers, they didn't believe in Jesus at the time. As a matter of fact, Mark tells us that, that when, um, when, when Jesus was teaching and the house was so packed that no one could get in it, that, that, that Mary and her sons, Jesus' brothers, came to get Jesus because they thought he was out of his mind. You gotta remember, they grew up with Jesus. Jesus had been the elder brother. He, he was the firstborn. And so most likely Joseph died somewhere early on. And, and Jesus was the one working in the carpenter shop. Mark says, isn't this the carpenter? And so they, they know him as a carpenter, as the provider for the family. And now all of a sudden he's out teaching. It's interesting also that when Jesus is dying on the cross in John chapter 19, 
He looks down and he sees Mary and, and he sees John, the, the son of Zebedee, James, the son of Zebedee, the two brothers. John's there and Jesus looks at John and he says, woman, behold your son and son, behold your mother. Now what's interesting is Jesus had four brothers. Why did he give Mary's responsibility over to James or to John instead of one of the four brothers? Because at that time they weren't believers. It speaks of the relationship, the closeness that the body of Christ should have. Our relationship with one another as the body of Christ, united by Christ, is even closer than the relationship we have with brothers of the same mother. It's a deep relationship. And so they come to that place, Jesus gives them, but, but then something happened. What happened to change James? About five weeks, we're gonna celebrate it. It's the resurrection. The resurrection changes everything. In Acts chapter one, verse 14, the brothers of Jesus, look at this verse, and these, these, this is up in the upper room. These all with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. His brothers didn't believe in him earlier, but now that Jesus has risen from the dead, they're gathered in the upper room and they're praying. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks of the people that Jesus appeared to. It's interesting, he speaks of Jesus appearing to Peter in the 12th. And then he goes on and says he, he appeared in verse five to, to more than 500 brothers. That's in verse six, excuse me. And then he said, and then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. That James is James, the brother of Jesus. For some reason, after the resurrection, Jesus specifically appeared to his brother, James. I think we'll understand more in just a moment. He's the one who, who leads the church in Jerusalem. All the way through the book of Acts, you find James, the brother of Jesus, leading the church. He is the pastor. I think it's safe to say he's the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. Now, some other people may not like the First Baptist Church, but he's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and they were baptized, so it's pretty safe to say he's the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. You know, I'm almost kidding there, but not quite. Um, think about in Acts chapter 15, Paul has been taking the gospel to the Gentiles and there were some, quote, Judaizers there. There were some people from James there. And you remember Paul and Peter get into it because Peter's enjoying the good pork barbecue until the Judaizers show up, the James brothers show up, and then Peter stops eating the pork and starts going kosher again and Paul calls him out. He calls him out and says, you can't do that. You can't do this when, no, when James's people aren't here and then stop eating it when they, when they are here. And so he calls them out and finally they end up going back to Jerusalem. And they had this council together. The early church gets together and Paul's there and Peter's there. I would love to watch the scene because they're arguing about whether or not Gentile people have to keep the law to be saved. Do they have to be circumcised to be saved? Do they, do they have to keep the dietary laws to be saved? Do they have to do these things? And Paul gets up and talks about what the gospel's been doing in the Gentile church. And then all of a sudden, Peter stands up and he affirms what Paul says by reminding them that he was called by the Holy Spirit to go to Cornelius' house. In Cornelius, the Gentile came to know Christ and his whole family and the Spirit of God fell on them just like he fell at Pentecost. And then James stands up in verse 13 of Acts 15 and he speaks. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, it's this. Typically, the leader is the last one to speak. 
And so you've got Paul, an apostle to the Gentiles, and Peter, an apostle to the Jews, one of the 12, the leader of the 12, and then you have James, the brother of Jesus, who's the pastor of the church and the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and he stands up and he wraps it all together. He's the pastor of that church. He's the pastor of the first church that was formed in Jerusalem. When Paul got saved, he said he spent three years in the wilderness being taught by Jesus. We see this in Galatians. But then he goes to Jerusalem. We saw this Wednesday night in our study of Paul in Romans. In Galatians chapter one, verse 18, he says, he, he visited Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. Wouldn't you like to have a recording of that conversation? When Paul's asking Peter, what happened on that transfiguration? What happened at the baptism? What did you see? What did you hear? Did Jesus say this? What did he mean by this? And, and Peter pours into Paul for 15 days, and then he says, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now this is significant, because Paul calls James an apostle. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the apostle. He's not one of the 12, he's the brother of Jesus, but the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So that's who wrote it, the half-brother of Jesus. Remember that when we come back to verse one in just a second. When did he write it? Second question, when did he write it? Well, he writes to the Jewish Christians. If you'll notice in verse one, it says to the, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. That means he's writing to Jews because there were 12 tribes, the sons of Jacob. In the dispersion means they were scattered. We read in this book and we know he's writing to Christians, so he's writing to Jewish Christians. The early church were all mostly Jewish. Now many of them were saved outside of that, but, but they were mostly a Jewish people and they were there and, and, and James is their pastor and he's writing to them because they've been scattered. James, James has four direct Old Testament quotes in his book. Short little book, but 40 allusions to the Old Testament. This is a man who knows his Bible. New Testament's not even written yet. He knows the Bible. He knows the teachings of Jesus. He's, he's writing to the Jews, but there's no mention of the Jerusalem Council that I just mentioned, which happens in Acts 15. So it's early. It's early. How early? Most would say between 44 and 45 AD, James wrote this book. He said, well, what's the significance of that? Just simply this. This is probably the first book written in the New Testament. Not chronologically, obviously the gospels come first, but they were written later. What we find here is the early church, Christians, specifically Jewish Christians, trying to figure out how to live the Christian life just 15 or so years after the resurrection. And what we'll see is some, some, some key sight, insights into how the church began to grow. And it'll teach us about how we need to grow as well. Why did he write it? Third question, why did he write it? There's 108 verses. 108 verses, 54 of them are commands. That's almost 20%. Almost 20% of what he writes is written in the Greek imperative, which is a command. It happens in verse two, count it all joy, that's a command. And we'll see it all the way through. He, he commands them. Paul's interesting the way he writes. 
Paul writes and, and, and he, he, he usually builds up the theology of the book and then the second half he makes it practical. He gives you the application, not James. James jumps in with both feet in the practical. He jumps in with both feet in, in the application. He does give us theology. Some of the theology is gonna be hard to follow and we're gonna have to work through it, but, but it's practical. He's giving us commands. He's telling us how to live the Christian life. What did he write? Next question, what did he write? It's gonna take months to work through this, but let me say this. This is about faith and how it's lived out. Not just that we're saved by faith, as Paul will write about, but faith and how it's lived out. R. Kent Hughes says the theme of this is faith that works. I like that, but, but the, the theme we're gonna go with is living faith. This book is about a living faith, a faith that not only saves you, but a faith that affects the way you walk your life. It affects the way that we live it out. It reaches all, all reaches a climax in chapter four, verse six. But he gives more grace, he said. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's a key verse in James, and we'll unpackage that over the next couple of weeks and look at it. I'll just tell you that the book of James gave Martin Luther trouble. Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic priest. He was a monk. He, he beat himself. He went through all kinds of things trying to earn holiness. And he finally realized that, that salvation came by faith alone, through Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. It was by faith, it was by grace, and that's the only way we're saved. Well, James talks a lot about works. So Luther called James the epistle of straw. And Luther didn't even think it should be in the Bible. Now, I'm just a Sam Mountain preacher, okay? Um, I, I don't want to argue with Martin Luther, but Martin Luther was wrong because he saw James in a wrong light. All of us, the best of men are but men. And Luther didn't seem to understand that Paul and James were fighting the same enemy. They were just standing back to back, fighting it from different directions. Paul's dealing with people and saying, you're justified by faith alone. It's not works that save you. The only way you can be saved is by grace through faith. And that's what Paul deals with. But James is dealing with people who are saying, well, works don't matter. You don't have to do works. And so James is fighting in a completely different animal. Yes, he believes that we're justified by faith alone, as the Bible teaches. But he's going to also show you that the faith that saves you is a faith that works. It's a living faith. And so as we look at this, we, we, we continue to hang on to it knowing that faith has works that come as a result. Works don't produce faith, but works come from faith. And what we'll see is that we'll know faith by its fruit. And that's what he's gonna teach us in this passage. It's a living faith. One more thing, from, from where did he write it? Okay. From where did he write it? If it wasn't for my, for my um, English major, I would say, where did he write it from, okay? But, but you don't end sentences and prepositions, so it looks weird, but from where did he write it? Well, we really don't know, but I will guess this. When the early church was scattered in, in Acts chapter eight, after the salvation of Paul, when the early church began to scatter, James and other apostles stayed in Jerusalem. 
the majority of the church took off. They were scattered, scattered by none other than Saul, who will become Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. It would seem that the Jewish Christians went all over their known world. I'm not making light of it, but very similar to what happened in the Holocaust. Many of the Jews who were in those European countries that when German came, they got out if they could. They scattered. And many of them, as they scattered, even in our own many lifetime, just recent lifetime, many of them lost everything as they did that. Well, that happens in the early church. The Jewish people scatter because of the persecution and, and they're dispersed. It's the dispersion. There's a dispersion spoken of in the Old Testament with Assyria and Babylon. Israel, the t- northern ten tribes are dispersed, and, 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 the, and the southern tribes are dispersed. But, but he's writing to Christians, so he's talking about people who were saved at Pentecost. And after they began to grow and see the mighty works of the, of the apostles, and the church began to grow from 3,000 to 4,000 to 5,000 and more, as the church begins to grow, now persecution's coming. It's coming from the Jewish people. It's coming from the Roman people. It's coming from all over the world. They begin to scatter. And so as we look at this, this is a letter, a letter itself that talks to us about how we live our life when persecution comes. So that's a word about the letter. Now let's look at the word of James's introduction. Just one verse. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Let's just look at that first part. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a note of humility here. James, a servant. If you were here last Wednesday night, Paul uses the same word. He says he's a servant, and the word is doulos. D-O-U-L-O-S is the way it would be spelled in English. Doulos is a Greek word which means slave. It really, every time you see it, it should be translated as slave or at least bond slave. I think we know why people don't use that word slave in today's time, but, but that's what Paul, James is saying. He says he's a servant. He's a slave. Now remember who he is. He's the half-brother of Jesus. And he says, I'm a slave of Jesus. How would you introduce yourself if you were writing a letter and you were the pastor of the first baptist church of jerusalem and you were the half brother of jesus i might say james the brother of jesus christ the one who shared the same womb with our devoted mary that one james the apostle james the pastor of the church of the apostles, James. James doesn't do that. He, he, he doesn't try to pull any rank relationally. He's just like his brother. James and Jude are the only two who only call themselves slaves. Everybody else speaks of being an apostle, speaks of being a servant, speaks of other things. And there's nothing wrong with that because they're establishing authority. But James and Jude are not pulling rank relationally. They're pulling rank spiritually. And they see themselves as slaves. You know what's in this? There's a hint of divinity here. And Before we get to that hint, let me just show you a shout of divinity. He calls him Lord. That's his title. 
Jesus is said to, he will receive a name that is above every name, and that name is Lord. He's Lord Jesus. That's his earthly name. He was given the name Jesus by the angels when they told Joseph what to name him. It means Savior. The Hebrew equivalent is Joshua, okay? So Jesus is the Savior. He's the Lord. He's God. He's Savior, and he's Christ. Again, Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title. He's the Messiah. He came to save and he became Lord. But there's a hint of divinity here. How many, how many of you have brothers? Just lift up your hand. All right, put them down. How many of you men have brothers? Let's do it that way. Now keep your hands up for a second. Come on. How many of you men who have brothers would ever call your brother Lord? Man, not one of you. Isn't it amazing? James grew up in the house with Jesus. Jesus was the firstborn. Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters. The only reason I know that is because are not his sisters with us. It was plural, so it's at least two of them. Mary had five boys, two girls at least. And those boys, because they were from a poorer side, would not have had individual bedrooms. They probably didn't have individual beds. And so most likely they shared a bed with Jesus. And yet he calls Jesus Lord. You can just imagine, I know I've, I've, I've overused this, but I'm gonna do it again. You can imagine what it's like growing up with Jesus as your brother. You can imagine when Mary gets on to James. James, why can't you be more like Jesus? It's an impossible standard. He's perfect. If James would have known, he'd say, he's God, mom, okay, I can't be God. But, but he, he didn't know that at the time. He calls himself a slave of his brother. The one he shared a bed with, the one he ate a meal with, the one he wrestled with and played with as a little boy. I want to remind you that, that this just is one of those little things in Scripture that shows us that Jesus is God. That his own brother would say he was God. That his brothers, two of them, would say that he's God and Jude as well. The resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. There's also a word here about the early church's um, theology. We won't spend much time here, but he says, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is just 15 years or so after the resurrection. Jesus has only been gone for 15 or less years, maybe 16, maybe 14. He's not been gone long, and already the church is speaking of a Trinitarian God, God the Father, who is the who is, um, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and also we find in the, in the Scripture of the Spirit. It took the church 100 or plus years to work all this out in terms of Nicaea and creeds and other things to try to figure out who Jesus is, but they do it right here. I'm a servant of God and of the Lord, which is also a term for God, Jesus Christ. They, they understand who he is. Everything, everything James will say comes under this idea that we're like James. We're simple servants of God. There's nothing else. I'm a pastor. I'm a servant of God. We've got deacons in here, servants of God. 
We have teachers in here, servants of God. And we could go all the way down to every single thing that happens. We are all servants of God. So whether you're opening and greeting, the, greeting people at the door or handing out bulletins or working down in the nursery or whether you're fixing coffee or whether you're bringing refreshments for your Sunday school class, whatever it is you're doing, we're all servants of God. And here's the thing, as slaves of God, we don't set the agenda. Now I know we're Baptists and we vote on everything, but we don't vote on some things. We don't set the agenda, the king does. We don't, we don't dictate the rules. Did you ever try to dictate the rules to your daddy? I think I did once. You don't dictate the rules to God. You don't set the agenda. You don't choose the circumstances in which you live. I wish. I wish I were about six foot seven, about 265 pounds, and about 2% body fat. I wish I could run a 4340 and do all those things. I wish I could. I wish I could memorize everything I read. And I wish I were richer than anyone else. But I don't get to set the circumstances. I wish my hair hadn't fallen out. How's that? I'll, I'll take being short and bald, short and fat, but I don't want to be bald and fat. I don't get to set the circumstances. As we'll see, Jesus' name is only mentioned in this book twice. Chapter 1, verse 1, we just saw it in chapter 2, verse 1. But his teaching saturates this book. The man who writes this book knew the teachings of Jesus, especially, especially the Sermon on the Mount. John MacArthur, the preacher, he finds 21 references to the Sermon on the Mount in just 108 verses. Again, almost 20%, almost 20% of what James teaches comes straight out or at least mentions the Sermon on the Mount. He writes to people scattered by persecution. If you're not careful, you'll say, well, this is for people in China. This is people in North Korea. It's for us, church. Persecution's coming. If we as a church continue to hold to biblical doctrines, especially in certain areas like marriage and sexuality and things like that, if we continue to hold to those doctrines, it will cost people to be a member of this church. There'll be promotions you won't get. There'll be sales you won't get to have. There'll be jobs that you'll be looked over for. I know for a fact that in DC right now, already governmental jobs tell, because I've talked to people who've been a part of it, tell them, be careful where you go to church because it will impact your promotions. It's happening everywhere. Persecution will come. It's already coming, and we have to understand that when James writes to them, he's also writing to us. He's writing to a people who follow Jesus. And because they follow Jesus, they've lost their earthly identity. In some cases, they've lost their earthly homes and their earthly wealth. And in many cases, the people he writes to are homeless and disenfranchised. It's all because they follow Jesus. I just want to close it by giving you two things, not in your outline, but you might want to write them down. Two things about James. First, he lived for Jesus. 
He lived for Jesus. James is, um, is a man that's mentioned by non-biblical historians. Men like Josephus, who was a great Jewish historian, talked about James. Other early historians talk about James, and they all, Christian and non-Christian, refer to him as James the Just, or James the Righteous, because he lived it out. Not just biblical accounts, and it's not in the Bible, but not just extra biblical accounts, but secular historians refer to the fact that he was called Camel Knees. He spent so much time in the temple praying for God to move that his knees began to be calloused and resemble the knees of a camel. I've shared this with you. I have to share it again. A man growing up in, in Boaz, Brother Hall, he'd been a missionary to China before the Chinese Revolution. He's dead now. His, his daughter is Rosalie Hunt. If, if, if you're familiar with the, F, with the WMU, she's one of the leaders in that. And Brother Hall went to his doctor in Boaz and was getting his physical. And they were checking him out. He says, Brother Hall, I just got to ask you, what's wrong with your knees? You have calluses all over your knees. Because he prayed for hundreds of people every morning by name. I was one of those people. He was a man who was in New Orleans Seminary getting his degree, felt God call him to missions, felt God call him to China. He had no one to send him, but he found out there was a Chinese central center where, where there were American and European missionaries. A lot of ladies didn't have a man there, so he got on a, on a ship and sold everything he had and sailed to that place. And within, within a year, he was preaching in Mandarin Chinese. He was brilliant, but he had a heart for God. He, he had those kind of knees. James was called camel knees. He lives for Jesus. Let me give you the second thing. He died for Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us how he died. Josephus, I mentioned him, tells us that he was, that he was given over to be stoned in 62 AD. The Fox's Book of the Martyrs, if, if you ever want to read a, a semi-historical account of how the disciples and early Christians died, Fox's Book of the Martyrs gives you a description of it. And Fox's Book of the Martyrs tells us that, that James died this way. He was considered to be a, a righteous man by Jew and Gentile alike. And many of the chief priests, not chief priests, but many of the priests and the Pharisees were coming to Christ. Paul was one of them. And, and so we see in the Gospels, even in the book of Acts, that many of the priests began to come to Jesus. And so these Jewish leaders came to James and they asked him to help restrain the people from believing in Jesus and th to think, quote, correctly about Christ. Now, they didn't know who James was, obviously, but they asked James to help them get their people to think correctly about Christ. So according to some of the early historians, they took him during Passover up to a high place in the temple. And he's overlooking all the people. And they, they look up and they see James and, and they shout out, you just man whom we ought to obey. These are Jewish people. You just man whom we ought to obey this people's going astray after Jesus who was crucified. <laughs> like I said, they didn't know James. 
because he responded from the top of that pinnacle. Why do you ask me of Jesus, the Son of Man? He sits at the right hand of the Most High and shall come in the clouds of heaven. And they pushed him off. And he fell that long distance and hit the stone ground, but it didn't kill him. Historians say the man who prayed so much that his name was called Camel Knees rolled over and got on his knees and began to pray this. Oh, Lord God, Father, I beg you to forgive them, for they know not what they do. Sound familiar? He's acting just like his big brother. They were so angry that Josephus is the one who records that he was stoned. That's when they began to stone him to death. And while they were throwing stones to crush his body, one of the priests said, wait, what are you doing? This just man is praying for you. And someone took a club and struck him on the head and killed him. James lived for Jesus. And James died for Jesus. And James will teach us how to do them both. Because you will not die for Jesus if you don't live for Jesus. And so as we look at this, we, we will study not just a hearer of the word, he was a doer of the word. And my prayer is that we'll join him in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ because we're nothing more than his slaves. Amen? May I ask you to bow your heads. You're going to talk a lot about being doers of the word in this passage, in this book. And so I would ask you today, what is God calling you to do? This morning, um, the Beasley family came and joined the church. They come into this service also. Friends of the branches. Branches were in the earlier service. If you're wondering where they are today, they were in the earlier service, but they're reaching out to friends, and friends are coming and joining our church, and the Beasleys joined. Um, Phyllis Bearden joined. She's been coming to our church for quite some time, but she felt led. What's God calling you to do today? Maybe it's to be saved. Maybe it's to be baptized. Maybe it is to join the church, and you don't have to come in front to do that. You can talk to me and we can talk more about it and, and figure out the best way to take care of those things. But what's God calling you to do? Is it a ministry? Is it to be involved in some area, to use your gifts, to be a disciple, to make disciples? What's God calling you to do? Would you ask him? Just as we get ready to sing, would you say, Lord Jesus, what would you have me do right now? Jesus, that's our prayer. What would you have us do right now? Holy Spirit, give us the strength to do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. If you need my help, I'll be right over here to help you.
that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, Cry. 
you just use this final few moments? What would Jesus have you do? Walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. March in the Spirit. What would He have you do today? What would He have you do at work? What would He have you do at home? Ask him those things and let him lead you. Father, we come before you and we praise you because we can say all I have is Christ and when we say that we have everything. Eternity is ours, but not just when we die, even now we've been blessed in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. I pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray, God, that you would bless them as they go about this week. I pray, Lord, that we would see ourselves as servants, reporting for duty, and that, Lord, we would be doers, not just hearers. Bless us today with your presence as we go out. Help us to be faithful, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Thank you so much for being here. We do have to do the chairs, so make sure you do that. We have to surround the stage and then also put them up. Guest, I'll be right over here. I'd love to meet you. Good job, guys.